0: Hello, my name is Liam Doherty. I'm a senior partner with Stratus Consulting, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the latest episode of the Stratus Insights podcast series. Stratus Consulting is a partner-led consultancy comprising the most experienced team of employment relations and industrial relations practitioners in Ireland. Each partner has over 30 years experience in supporting, guiding, and advising employers on strategic EOR projects. Stratus operates a leadership team, Chief Executive and Board Levels, to support organisations who want to lead and drive change, particularly where there's a strategic employment relations dimension. We will focus on the question, are we heading towards some form of mandatory union recognition in Ireland? Given the importance of the topic, I'm delighted to be joined by Brendan McGinty, Managing Partner, Stratus Consulting, and Kevin Duffy, former Chairman of the Labour Court. Can I open up the conversation by asking you first, Brendan, can this review of collective bargaining and IOR really deliver a balanced outcome? What would that look like to you?
1: Thanks, Liam. Um, and nice to start with the, the easy question. And But look, it's it's great to have a, a chance to kick this uh, issue around, and particularly with, with, with Kevin. I think that's going to be hugely uh, challenging uh, because, uh, and, and first of all, I should say, it's really important that there is a balanced outcome. Uh, uh, but in arriving at that, I think there are risks for for everybody. As uh, I was on the employer side, it's critically important that whatever the outcome is, that it doesn't uh, fundamentally undermine our attraction as a location for investment, uh, our uh, competitiveness standing. Uh, and matters of that nature with that are clearly hugely important, not least, of course, to the inward investment uh, community, uh, as, as well as uh, many other employers and sectors. Um, but I also think it's really important uh, that the review has been framed not just in respect of collective bargaining, but also about uh, industrial relations, the industrial relations landscape, because. I think if there is to be balance in terms of the outcome, it's also important that there is a long hard look being taken at how all of this works in terms of the dispute resolution uh, bodies and also the opportunity perhaps for further reform of how trade disputes are are ultimately uh, regulated as well. Because I think, for, for from what I am hearing from many employers with, uh, with whom we would interact, I think there is an expectation here that uh, if the collective bargaining agenda is looked at to enhance the role and opportunity for trade unions to engage in collective bargaining, the open question is: Well, what does that mean in terms of the wider uh, landscape? And what is the implication that that has for voluntarism as we have uh, tended to, to know it? And um, I, I would be aware, for example, that that an understandable issue that is of concern to the trade unions is also around the whole notion of broadening the remit. For example, of sectoral level bargaining, uh, we we know there have been lots of issues and problems in particular sectors. Uh, including historically associated with the JLCs and uh, some of the Joint Industrial Councils of, 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 of old, so to speak, um, and various efforts have been made legislatively to, to ad- address some of the, the, the problems uh, with those uh, structures. But as suppose as fundamentally, uh, if, if there's to be a focus on promoting those sorts of agreements, which one could anticipate from a public interest point of view, Um, we all know as practitioners that the only way those really work successfully is if they're established uh, and uh, actively worked by voluntary agreement by the parties and parties that are ultimately representative of the majority of uh, the interest in a particular sector. So I suppose in a nutshell, you know, I think uh, I would be worried about whether we will get a balanced outcome. It is important that we get that balanced outcome. But I think Looking at it holistically, it can't just be about the collective bargaining agenda as it has been historically espoused, for example, by the trade union movement, which is understandable from their point of view. But from an employer point of view, it will also be about uh, do any changes fundamentally impact on how I need to engage with my my staff uh, and my employees, particularly if I'm already operating a sophisticated uh, direct engagement model And and secondly, what other reforms are being contemplated to the wider uh, uh, industrial relations uh, landscape that make doing business better for everybody uh, in Ireland?
0: Thanks, Brennan. Kevin, what's your assessment uh, of of that question?
2: Well, first of all, I think, uh, given the makeup of the group that's looking at this question, uh, I think uh, the, the outcome will be balanced because the... The um, group that's dealing with it is 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 particularly well balanced, um, but in terms of of where it's all going, it's a debate that's been knocking around now, in my experience, since the the early to mid nineteen nineties, right? And um, words are used without, I think, a common understanding of what they mean, and 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 that's particularly true about the the question when we talk about union recognition. Um, what does that mean? It, 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 it really has no meaning unless it involves uh, a process by which uh, trade unions, if workers wish to be represented by trade unions, and employers engage with each other. So in many respects, it is about collective bargaining. It's about a mechanism by which workers can have an input at some level, into the determination of the terms and conditions under which they work. Now, um, while it may be possible to bring about a situation, and I I use the word may deliberately, uh, where an an employer could be obliged to talk to a trade union in certain circumstances, and indeed there are circumstances already in which that is the case, uh, in 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 relation to the certain issues that arise, and that could be you know, p- theoretically that could be mandatory, but collective bargaining is only of value if it results in a collective agreement, and the difficulty here is how do you f- bring about a situation where people are obliged to make collective agreements? I mean, it 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 it, 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 it simply seems to me. An impossibility, certainly within our current system. Um, and maybe it does involve looking at the broader landscape. In fact, I think it, it, it probably will involve looking at the broader landscape. Um, but right now, um, if parties disagree, uh, there are the institutions of the state available to them, but they're voluntary. And the outcome is voluntary. And there's an upside and a downside on that, depending on where you're coming from. For, I suppose, categories and groups of workers who have a lot of industrial muscle, that's fine. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, they can flex their muscle. In circumstances where they don't have that, Uh, then it's of little value to them. So you know there, there, there are complex questions there, and it really just goes. It's it's not just a question of saying uh, union should be recognised in certain circumstances. Recognised for what, and what is the object of that particular exercise, and and these are these are f- fundamental questions that have never been fully fully answered, and I think. You know, a bottom line position and I'm certainly not talking for the trade union movements a long time since I was had any authority to do that if I ever had it but um f- fundamentally it's it seems to me to be about a principle right the principle being that working people as I said should have a right to an input into the terms and conditions under which they work um, and that in, involves some level of engagement. You now, it can happen in many places on a one-to-one basis, but that's really a, a bit of a nonsense in many situations. So I, I, I'd be inclined to think that um, these are the, the, the fundamental questions that have to be grasped and, and, and never have been up to now. I mean, there are other aspects to this, and Brendan touched on them, and I agree with him, the whole thing about uh, Sectoral bargaining and and the JLC system, and that's a system that's been there, I suppose, certainly in a, in in the formal sense nineteen forty six, and even before that, the, the old trade boards. Um, and there are JLCs established for a raft of employments, right? but all but two of them don't function. And you know, if 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 the J and, and JLCs are in in reality. A form of collective bargaining right? it's 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 mm-hmm. collective bargaining in a different context but ultimately it's employers and unions mm. negotiating and coming to an agreement at a level which is then generally applicable within the sector and um, you know I, I i the other thing that i think is important here is that ireland is very much an outlier In terms of collective bargaining coverage, not so much in terms of trade union density, because, you know, it's about 24 percent in Ireland as trade workers are in trade unions and collective bargaining coverage is about 34 percent. And short of the Scandinavian countries, we're not that far out in terms of I mean, if you take France, for example, which is I think illustrates the point where you have about 10% of the workforce of trade unions, but 98% or 99% are covered by collective bargaining. And Indeed. it's because of a different system. Um, and, uh, and that, I think, is, is, is really where the focus should be initially, uh, particularly if you're talking about expanding um, coverage of collective bargaining in Ireland. Because if, you, if all of the JLCs were active, that that 34% would increase significantly and there are many sectors uh which you know are, are the characteristics of are, are of which are such that uh, jlc's could usefully be established uh, to 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 regulate them in these terms um and that's um that's an area I think that there, there should be a strong focus on. But to come back to the the first point, I think before we start talking about mandatory recognition and all the rest of it, we need to be clear as to what what the object of the exercise is. And as I said, in my view, um, the object is to provide a mechanism by which workers have an input. Right? And that can be the straightforward, traditional way that we all understand and you, the members of unions, the Union and the employer concludes a collective agreement, and that's, if you like, the the traditional model. But there are other ways in which it can be done as well, and I think they okay. they need to be explored.
0: Thanks, Kevin. Just uh, actually, as a follow on to that, I, I'm I'm curious, you know, in in talking about some of the principles involved, and and in particular in looking at potential outcomes that might involve mandatory obligations, is there a danger that voluntarism, as we know it, is 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 that an end or is that a near end mm. of life stage?
2: Well, just like collective bargaining, I often wonder what voluntarism is, particularly <laughs> in, in the present context. Um, you might elaborate on that. All right. Well, first of all, it's a, I, I suppose it's a long time since our system uh, was purely voluntarist. You know, with the, the legislation covering many aspects, certainly in in individual areas but in some collective areas as well uh, and there's nothing voluntarist about that and even I suppose to to illustrate the point um, when I started with the Labour Court in 1997 uh, about oh, 90%, 95% of the work was pure industrial relations that was voluntarist, people didn't have to go they didn't have to pay any attention to what came out by and large they did uh, Probably percentage of them did but um, it it was voluntary in that sense right uh, now uh since the reforms in 2015 i think about i think the split is about 70 30 mm. in in employment rights. Balance has shifted. Yeah, usually, it's hugely yeah. shifted. Mm. And if you go to the WRC, I gather it's about 85% mm. is, is our, what we could describe as mandatory mm. issues. Mm. So, you know, that's that, that that's reality. Um, but I'd be inclined to think that this, the the fact that employers may be obliged to at least listen to the views of their workers as expressed through a trade union isn't in itself going to alter the situation. What I was saying was that I, I wonder to what extent is that really going to bring about the sort of results that people want because people only reach agreement if they want to reach agreement and if there are advantages for both sides in reaching an agreement. You can never force them to do that, right? Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's, that's the, the essence of voluntarism. And, but the other very important dimension to voluntarism is that the institutions which are there uh, issue a recommendations rather than decisions in pure IR cases, which, as I said, are a, a diminishing aspect of the overall landscape. But they... Um, And people are free to reject them. And there have been times over the years when, you know, the the champions of voluntarism shifted from one side to the other. And uh, if you if you look at the Commission on Industrial Relations, which was way back when I had hair in my head, (laughs) um, um, I mean, that was that broke down because it was heading towards curbing that yeah. Voluntarism, mm. and that was being led by the FUE at that time. Now I'd be inclined to think if you were to, if you were, to, if you were to, if you, if you listen to what some people on the union side are saying, right? They're beginning to wonder about the value of voluntarism, and the other thing, and again going back to my former existence before I left, I got somebody to have a look and see well how many Labour Court recommendations are being rejected or ignored, Mm -hmm. right? Which is the same thing. And where is it coming from? There were more employers in that category than unions. Yes. So, you know, and and that may be a reason why, you know, unions are, are, are maybe reviewing their position. But, um... I don't necessarily think that it is. I mean, we don't want a situation, only really anybody wants a situation where every aspect of voluntarism is gone, uh, particularly the capacity for people to make deals between themselves mm-hmm. and if issues arise, to have those issues dealt with outside of the mainstream legal systems. So I don't think we want to get to a stage where... Um, the um, collective agreements have the status of contracts and all of that sort of stuff which you see in some European countries but I'm not sure that we anybody would really want to go down that road but I'm inclined to think that you know voluntarism like everything else it's uh, it moves on it changes over time and it certainly has changed over time in in, in our system Um, you know as I said but I don't think that requiring uh, employers to listen to their employees, uh, perhaps to consider what they have to say, to afford them an opportunity to be represented in saying what they have to say, would in, in and of itself undermine the, the basic concepts that at the end of the day, people are free to make agreements or not to make agreements. Uh, and if, if, they, if they don't make agreements, well, they don't make agreements. Um,
0: okay, thanks for that, Kevin. Uh, Brennan, I'm just curious of, you know, your view in relation to that issue around voluntarism mm. and, and and whether you see it has been, uh, uh, you know, at an end or or, or, or near end, um, or or you know, is there another perspective uh,
1: that you have on it? Well, look, there's a huge amount of issues bundled up in that question, uh, understandably, because look we all know how foundational the whole sort of um voluntarist approach to our ir system has been for both sides of 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 industry over uh you know so many years and i suppose the the you know, a starting point has always tended to be, look, this, you know, the state doesn't impose uh, a solution in terms of, you know, the, how, how people want to conduct their business from an ER uh, point of view. Uh, yes, you know, the state has provided the machinery by which people can sort out their differences. And we're, we're blessed to have, obviously, institutions as sophisticated and as mature as obviously the, the Workplace Relations uh, Commission and, and the Labour Court. Uh, with hugely experienced uh, people, you know, involved in uh, doing their business. Um, But we have to acknowledge, of course, that, look, there has been, uh, and and it's partly, obviously, on the back of the growth in the individual rights agenda that that Kevin has rightly alluded to uh, and jurisprudence of one form or another over the years, but, you know, the voluntarist Principle has kind of been 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 chipped away, um, and if that's the case, I suppose there's a fundamental challenge or question. I think that I suspect the review group is 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 having to uh, grapple with as well, which is that you know if 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 the parameters of voluntarism because, for example, of trade union ambitions around the collective bargaining space is to be uh, narrowed or tightened in some way, there probably equally has to be an acknowledgement that, you know, voluntarism, that can't happen just for one side of industry or for that matter, it just can't happen, you know, in the private sector. like So, for example, you know, if you wanted to uh, identify some kind of, you know, uh, difficult issues, you know, you you would pose the question, well, what's the implication of of that, for example, in the public sector or indeed for public sector uh, trade unions who, you know, have obviously has, uh, by and large, have access to collective bargaining arrangements uh, as a a given Uh, or indeed, for that matter, in the private sector, if you think about some of the legacy issues about uh, pre-entry closed shops and, and, and matters of that nature that we we all we all know there's a legal question about and and, and uh, matters of that nature but you know kevin's um proposition about that is mentioned about uh you know one of the core issues at the heart perhaps of of the 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 ambition here is that you know, employers would listen, obviously, to, to people's views and obviously that with trade unions having a role in that. And I suppose for me, that's kind of at the kernel of some of this because we know there's lots of ways. Employers want to listen to people's views, uh, whether it's around a change project or or, or some, some, some other initiative that's been taken or if it's around changes to uh, pay and conditions, whatever that may be. Um, and I think one of the fundamental kind of challenges is that our system, our industrial relations system, in all its respects, um, has tended, understandably, because obviously of the, the provenance of our system back to the establishment of the court in 46, et cetera, the, 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 the collective bargaining edifice has tended to take a predominance in that. Uh, with the support over the years of the of of Congress and, and the employer bodies and so on. Um, but over time, we also have to recognize that there is a majority of businesses in the private sector who are operating sophisticated direct engagement models and who are choosing to listen to their views of their employees using a different model. Right. And the challenge is, you know, how do you bring about change that addresses the concerns that the trade unions have without doing damage to that culture. Now, the other thing then I would say is that um, we also have to recognize that, look, we've already built up a very sophisticated regulatory regime, for want of a better way of putting it, that um, promotes collective bargaining uh, uh, in, in one sense, prohibits anti-union discrimination, you know, puts a range, put a, we, we already have arrangements in place around anti-victimization and so on. And, you know, I remember being uh, uh, one of those soldiers that was involved in the establishment of the uh, the, the, the 2001 Act. Um, and and it's important, I suppose, and, and this is an interesting point because that was an Irish solution to an Irish problem uh, in, in, in short order, where on the one hand, what was being said, uh, as I'm paraphrasing now, uh, trade unions wanted the opportunity to represent their members in uh, organizations where there wasn't established collective bargaining arrangements. Uh, employers were saying we are opposed to any form of mandatory trade union recognition uh, and an obligation to concede collective bargaining, etc. Uh, and we found a way uh, through the industrial relations uh, legislation, to construct a modus uh, operandi that allowed those trade unions, where they, where it wasn't the practice of the employer to engage in collective bargaining, to represent their members uh, and to have a any dispute over the uh, fairness or otherwise of the terms and conditions that were at issue or whatever for that for that to be assessed, but on the strict condition uh, that. Uh, an outcome to that could not be a recommendation, for example, in favour of collective bargaining, and you know, and we all know that uh, worked reasonably well in the in the early days, uh, and then it ran into various legal uh, challenges and difficulties, and has been further revised uh, through the course of the uh, as a result then of the changes in in, in twenty fifteen. But as I suppose a key point, however, in all of this is that. The whole notion here about the engagement and, you know, Kevin is right. You can't force people to agree to things that they don't want to agree. Um, and, you know, but at the same time, we have fallback mechanisms in place. Uh, and there are there are consequences for em- employers and in, 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 in particular who fail to engage in bona fide collective bargaining whether that's. Uh, you know, around with preclusion around discrimination, uh, penalization of employees, the victimization piece, offering incentives to abandon entitlements under any of those legislation in terms of people's entitlements of freedom association and, and and all of that, which is only only right and proper. But as I say, the the, the the real concern here is that if there is a further squeeze on voluntarism, as we currently know, it, and and it's already under pressure, let's be honest, right? Um. There is a, a there is a danger that that is targeted purely at the private sector and has unintended consequences for those employers who are actually practicing good ER practice, albeit not through the the, the modus operandi of traditional collective bargaining, and that's the concern.
0: Thinking of the right to bargain legislation that we have, the framework of you know IRX from two thousand one up to two thousand fifteen. It's probably fair to say that you know in the last number of years it's remained largely unused by the trade unions. Mm. And I'm just curious as to you know your view as to why that is so.
1: Um, yeah. Look, uh, we we won't get into the whole history of it uh, necessarily beyond what I've, what I've discussed. But um, I suppose it's safe to say that look, despite the efforts to. Render it fit for purpose in 2015. Um, uh, and and one of the important, I suppose, steps forward, which uh, I personally thought was a very significant um, uh, step forward for the trade unions, was the inclusion for the first time in our industrial relations um, legislation an actual definition of collective bargaining. Mm, mm, mm. But again, the point about that is it it, it restates, you know, what we all know to be the case around uh, that comprising voluntary, voluntary engagements or or negotiations. Um, And I suppose it's that that's the kind of key point that Mm. look amidst all the to and fro on this issue, we have to remember this has to be still about a voluntary exercise. Now, that legislation from an employer point of view. Uh, we know the trade unions had issues uh, with it as a result of uh, their, their decision, strategically or tactically, or what, however you choose to to call it, to to not pursue cases really under on, on the, the the act. But from an employer point of view, remember it wasn't all sweetness and light either, because you know there were no thresholds, no minimum thresholds, and we know from the, the jurisprudence, generally speaking, look. In practical terms, the thresholds, whatever, you know, different views, maybe, but mm. whatever, 25 to 30 percent or whatever of, of, of a particular greater group were, were expected to be uh, involved. Um, um You know, the, the the court could decline to investigate a dispute if, if the number of workers were, were insignificant, albeit mm. as I say that that wasn't uh, spelled out in the legislation. And we had a very light touch uh, approval mechanism where the trade unions, you know, a general secretary of a trade union simply had to sign off on on the membership based on a, on a declaration. And I suppose the the, the issue for, for, for some employers in the real world of, of these sorts of cases is that there was a failure to recognize that the outcome of some of these cases, even though they were being prosecuted on behalf of a relatively small number, some of whom may have May well have been disaffected people, not always. Some people are genuinely looking to be represented, uh, uh, but uh, but very much a minority in in the organization. But the outcome could have huge implications for the organization as as a whole. And one of the concerns was that the system was not rec- recognizing that. now where where we got to then, as we know is, we've had a, a you know a trickle of 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 cases. That appears to have been a tactical decision by the by the trade unions, who, you know, having uh, looked at that, decided uh, it wasn't worth uh, getting too involved in in, in in that infrastructure, and decided that there was the potential of a bigger prize, um, and an, you know, potentially around establishing some sort of a rights based outcome around collective bargaining or or, or, or or something that would be akin to that, and what we've had in the meantime then is uh cases being pursued through a PR agenda, perhaps being taken to the to the Labour Court under the traditional route of the of the 69 Act. Uh, and and uh, again, we have all of that being being um, done in a manner of speaking that doesn't take account of these wider the wider presence of these uh sophisticated engagement models. And it seems to me that saying one of two things about where the where the trade unions got to. One is that they decided, look, um, they weren't in a position to to cultivate membership levels of the twenty-five or thirty percent, and 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 you know as as in reality became maybe the test uh, to to meet uh, what was expected under the Act, or they simply decided, look, uh, to give up on that mechanism and to pursue a, a, a different a different strategy, and that it seems to me is is, is now where where we're at, uh, and. I suppose the next challenge is to see can the right balance be found in terms of the outcome. Mm.
0: Thanks, Ben. Kevin, uh, I suppose the, the same question to you. I mean, wh- why have unions in Ireland apparently yeah. turned their backs on the piece of legislation that unions in other jurisdictions might bite your hand off for?
2: Yeah, well, perhaps to go back a bit, and I, I, I think it's important to go back a bit, perhaps even to, into the last question, because Brendan made a point, and I agree with them. there are many employers... Uh, who don't deal with trade unions but they have internal mechanisms and they have decent paying conditions. That is undoubtedly uh, uh, true. But there are an awful lot of employers that don't, who don't deal with trade unions and the reason they don't deal with trade unions is because they have poor pay and conditions of employment and want to retain that. Now, it was that type of employment that... The two thousand and one Act was initially focused on, right, and Brendan is right in saying it was a a, a unique approach to dealing with a thorny problem, and I think it's significant that in the period from about two thousand and two when it started going up to two thousand and seven when it went up on the rocks in in the, uh, following a Supreme Court uh, decision. Um, to some extent, this whole debate around recognition others abated somewhat, you know, said mm. this is this is a mm. you know, comment. Yeah. yeah and, and, and what but what was the underlying rationale for the 2001 act? And I was around, as was Brendan. And I suppose we all have our own version of we all came from, from different angles because I st- when 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 the discussions around this started, I was in Congress and by the time it came to fruition, I was in the Labour Court, some responsibility for applying it. But anyway. Um, Poach turned game, gamekeeper. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> but anyway, um, the underlying rationale was to bring about a situation where essentially employers could have choices. Mm. Right, They could engage with unions and engage in collective bargaining. And they, if they did that, the Act had no application and they might agree or they might not agree, it didn't matter, right? They they were immune from the effects of the Act. But if they chose not to engage in collective bargaining, as was clearly their right, then there was a mechanism by which that could be compensated for. And the compensatory mechanism was that the Labour Court could in fact determine whether the terms and conditions were adequate or not and it didn't do that by picking figures off the top of his head uh, it did it by really asking itself the question if these people had access to collective bargaining what would the likely outcome of that be right? and that meant that the primary focus in drawn comparison was on employments which were analogous but in which terms and conditions were in fact negotiated and that approach was upheld by the, the High Court as I'm sure you'll recall in the Ashford Castle case where the High Court said that's exactly what the Act was about and that the the, the very considerable weight I think were the words that uh, Judge Clark as he then was uh, used in saying very considerable weight should be given to the product of collective bargaining as opposed to Unnegotiated rates, and that worked quite well. What happened in two thousand and fifteen, and I think this is a, what's at the the kernel of it, right? It's broadened out now, and now if there is a case, uh, uh, there are two questions that the court has to determine. One is: Are the rates of pay out of line, right, in 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 the particular employment that to which the dispute relates, and Obviously, uh, it has to go on then and say, well, what should the rates be? But they're obliged now to look at the totality of the sector, all similar employments. And in a lot of cases, the type of employments that unions would have invoked the 2001 Act to, uh, to deal with are in sectors where a lot of them are everyone's on the minimum wage the minimum wage and given that the court is obligated to take into account the totality of the sector right it's un- unlikely to produce a result there's also an obligation of course on the um, union to establish that the rates of pay are in fact out of line. And there is no mechanism by which they can have, have access to that information. Very often it's because you're, you're talking about sectors where there is very, very low levels of, of trade union organisation. I don't think there's a problem in terms of the numbers, right? And um, I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem basically is saying how do you deal with a situation where you have to look at the totality? Now, it's fine if you have one employment or two employments within a a particular sector that are outliers, you know, that are below. And it's it's in everyone's, uh, to everyone's benefit, that that sort of Comp- unfair competition be addressed right? but where you have a situation and there are many sectors that we can think of but I won't get into mentioning them but there are many sectors we know where there are very low levels of trade union organisation, no collective bargaining no collective agreements uh, and if one of those if, 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 if people from one of those employments join the union and the union wants to invoke this act they've no they, 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 they've nothing to compare with other than employments that are in the same position uh, as the, the 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 people who are looking for the improvement, and that's a that's a practical difficulty uh, that arose from the 2015 amendments. Because Brendan is right. I mean, it, at one level, what happened in 2015 was that the decision in the Reiner case was effectively reversed because the, the Supreme Court, and that took a Uh, a a certain view of what constitutes uh, collective bargaining, right? But that was reversed by legislation. We have an excellent definition now and an excellent definition of what constitutes an accepted body, right? That's fine. But in the process, they also reversed Ashford Castle. So it's now no longer permissible for the court to say, we'll focus on negotiated rights. Right, as being the appropriate comparator, and it's, if you like it 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 changed if you like the underlying rationale for the uh, for the act in the first place, which I think was to say, well, can you push people who don't have access to collective bargaining in a position that they would be in if they did have that access and it, that's I think that's that's a huge part of the problem
0: okay. I, look, there's so much covered in you know in both your answers to to that question. Uh, I think it's you know it's a topic we could spend the day on in itself. But look, can I, in the interest of time, can I move the conversation into the into the EU dimension? Um, mm. And maybe Kevin, if I can ask you, in, you know, in terms of of your assessment of of you know the union strategy over the past five ten years, uh, is it fair to say there's a, a shift uh, to Focus on the EU dimension to see how that might be able to support collect, collective bargaining here in Ireland.
2: Oh, I think there is no, there's no doubt there is because, uh, and and it's not just from Ireland. It's 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 uh, is a part of the we know about the the minimum wage uh, directive and what that has to say, um, though perhaps misunderstood in some respects because the the that directive is about minimum pay, but it deals with collective bargain uh, bargaining coverage. But that's seen as a a means to an end the end being to try and improve pay levels in in low paid employments but um, there is because Ireland is is different to the rest of Europe and you know not necessarily in terms of of trade union density it's falling all over Europe right outside of Scandinavian countries It's, um, it's, it's falling but collective bargaining coverage is it remains extremely high as I said 99% 90, 90, um ninety nine percent in france uh uh ninety eight percent in austria um it's you know it's it's it, 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 it's quite high we're we're very much out of line there so yes the the, the trade union movement though, i think has been for the last number of years and what i can say uh, become more involved in uh, de- trying to address this question through their the European Trade Union Confederation, of which they're an affiliate, and um, there are obvious advantages in that for them because you know if there's if there's re- uh, they might find that it's easier to convince the member states uh, in the European Union that collective bargaining coverage is a good thing because they already have that so you're not asking to bring about anything that they don't already have and it might be an easier way of bringing about some sort of a political initiative than trying to deal with it in a a domestic setting so i can see where they're coming from on that
0: Brendan. your your assessment of that
2: um I,
1: I, look I think this has been probably the most significant move uh, really to internationalize the the, the issue uh, obviously on the back of um, potential legislative arrangements uh, that would occur in, in Europe um, but again just for the benefit maybe of, of, of listeners it's important uh, as I understand it at least uh, that you know, over the last couple of years, there, there would have been a you know a fair old debate, obviously, within the trade union movement as to what would be the better course of action. Because, as I understand it, uh, and as Kevin would be aware, there would be you know some would have advocated, for example, you know, a referendum to bring about const- constitutional change to, to provide for um, you know a right to collective bargaining or, or or some such. Um, uh but of course you know the problem at the moment for them at the moment is that the constitution is a is a double edged sword yes it guarantees the rights of citizens to uh form associations and trade unions and so on but as we know the, co- the courts also interpret that as providing for obligations for um where employers don't have to to recognize such such bodies um and uh, I think, in fairness, it would appear that Congress, you know, has identified. Look, there there are clearly risks associated with a, a, a you know going the constitutional referendum approach. Never mind the political I- issues that that would would, would throw up, um, and instead have have decided to focus on the potential for you know a directive on harmonising collective bargaining in some shape or form across uh, across uh, Europe and the. Tactical advantage, as as I understand it, that that would mean is that if that were to fall out of Europe, so to speak, then that would obviously trump any domestic arrangements in in in, in Irish law, and obviously it would, it would would apply across across Europe. But uh, Kevin has mentioned the the, the minimum wage uh, directive, and you know that absolutely is significant, and and uh, you know in conversations uh, that that I have had with with organizations, when you speak about this, most people say, you know, adequate minimum wage, what's that got to do with us? Uh, Mm. Which is perfectly understandable. Uh, But when you tell them, you know, that, well, it's not just about the adequate minimum wage because one of the uh, mechanisms that is being talked about to ensure uh, that there is an adequacy of minimum wage uh, uh, across the European uh, Union is that uh, member states uh, should do more to promote uh, collective bargaining and in particular uh, uh, collective bargaining coverage because within the directive it talks about uh, that being an obligation on a member state where there's uh, I think a 70% mm-hmm. of workers mm-hmm. not not yeah. not being covered uh, by collective bargaining um, and when you unbundle that, th- that throws up lots of issues first of all, you know, the trade unions uh, and, and and others uh on, on on particularly obviously on the left have managed it seems to 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 me at least to you know take that issue and turn it into an opportunity to promote the collective bargaining uh uh coverage agenda uh which is fair enough that 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 that's their 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 prerogative but i think you, you know employers out there uh and i think for Ireland Inc., It needs to be really well understood about the implication of that, because one of the core assumptions is that, you know, collective bargaining is the only means through which people can secure better terms and conditions. And I suppose that's uh, and yes, of course, that's the role of trade unions. Understand that. Right. But the difficulty here is there are lots of good employers out there who are doing good things with their staff who end up being collateral damage, potentially at least. If we get this, if we get this stuff wrong, and and for me, uh, I suppose the, the 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 issue is this: in terms of if we do get this wrong, we will end up with a situation where, you know, the trade unions w- will be in a position to practice voluntarism in areas in which they're they're strongest, and create more of a regulated space, particularly in parts of the private sector where they don't have have strength, and where potentially. I'm not saying this is what's going to happen, right? But in a worst case scenario, where employers are are compelled in some way to to engage in in, in collective bargaining, and and for me that's kind of the the kernel of this. But I think the the minimum wage issue, uh, I think has a bit of road to run uh, as 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 yet. And a laudable policy objective has been, has been used to advance that kind of wider application of collective bargaining. And we, we, we understand that. We understand uh, why. But again, at the back of all of this, um, I think it'll be fascinating to see if that minimum wage directive comes to pass, and it probably will in some version, what that actually means in ter- for Ireland in terms of promotion uh, of... Coverage of collective bargaining and what that looks like, and at the fa- on the face of it, that seems to su- to suggest uh, that uh, a particular area of focus will be in that whole area of uh, sectoral bargaining.
0: In in terms of you know the the position of multinational employers, and look, we're all mindful of the the special position that you know they've occupied in this country for for a number of decades now. But I, I'm wondering, you know, whether you believe there's a real understanding of the concerns. Of multinational employers that are based in Ireland on this whole
1: question. Well, look, uh, I have no doubt that look, pe- people have been voicing their their views in all sorts of uh, places on this issue as the potential implication of this has become more more better known. But um, I, I, I will say this uh, from from our own engagements um, with, with with companies uh, and with many organisations who are leading multinationals who are already, you know, doing good things out there um, and who are concerned about where this may, may end up. And the concern, I suppose, in a nutshell, is that th- this will give rise to an agenda about the promotion of collective bargaining uh, and that having a prim- primacy over the freedom to engage directly and that the continued tilt of our system towards more of a rights-based approach in this space Will undermine enterprise level freedom, including the practices of better employers. Okay, so that's that's a real concern. Uh, but at a more macro level, you know, and remember, we're, we're, we're doing this at a time when Ireland has signed up to, obviously, enhance corporation tax rates uh, because of the OECD framework. Uh, we have all of those sorts of issues now around. Well, look, you know, in, in uh, sites, Irish sites of Multinationals having to, to some extent, reframe their conversation with corporate about the continued attraction of of Ireland, obviously as a location for investment, and this has been one of those issues for for discussion, uh, and it's important that they can still say that there is still respect in Ireland for diverse uh, models of of, of engagement, um, because those those, and I, I'm not talking here, obviously, about those. You know employers who have played loose and fancy free, uh, you know that that Kevin has mentioned earlier, uh, and who do not treat them their, their staff well and 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 all of that. Uh, nobody has any any truck for 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 that sort of uh, behaviour, but we're talking here about, in my view, a majority of you know, good employers who are trying to do the right thing and who are worried and and a little bit of a sense uh, of, of the feedback that that we're picking up. You know, they want to make sure they're treating their staff well. They want to continue to provide really good remuneration and market-leading benefits, They but they want to protect their site. They want to encourage future investment. And, you know, even around, for example, the, the, the existing obligations that we know to be out there, there is also a bit of a worry that, For example, you know, people could start looking at areas around information and consultation uh, obligations which are already there uh, and which are working incredibly well. And and to further develop those that impose further obligations um, uh, or indeed for around issues about individual, the individual right of representation, whether it's in grievance, handling or discipline and that a potential outcome maybe where unions are giving given additional rights or status over and above that which currently exists under the various codes of practice or, or the information and consultation legislation and so on, which could undermine the voluntarist uh, nature of of, of of the CB uh, framework. So those are some of the kind of concerns that, 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 that are out there. They are real. Now, hopefully they won't uh, come to pass depending on, on the outcome, but it just shows the volatility and the concern uh, of 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 thought that, that that certainly exists in in some of the multinationals that we're talking to.
0: Thanks, Brendan Kevin. I'm just curious. Do, do you sense any acceptance of those concerns that multinationals have expressed on this subject, you know, particularly those that have? Yeah, you know? there's
2: a number of points I'd I'd make around this, uh, Liam. First of all, it's 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 strange that in the U.S., where a lot of these companies are headquartered. If you get 51 percent of your employees want to join a union, the, the, the union has to be recognized, and you can put a lot of effort into making sure you don't get 51 percent. But that's the, that's, that's the law in the U.S. Um, it's less than that in the U.K., but in Ireland, you could have 110 percent who want to be represented by a union. It doesn't make any difference. And you know, there's a, that's a point that's often made. You know, what's the big deal? Right. Second, the second point I think that's relevant is question of of union recognition or collective bargaining or whatever term you want to apply to it only arises if people want to be represented by a union and actually do something about that and go off and join a trade union. Now, we've had a number of somewhat nasty and messy recognition disputes over the years. I'm not aware of any of those disputes being in the type of companies that Brendan's talking about. They've been in the other types of employments that have been talking, that have talked about. So you know, it, 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 the, 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 it only arises as an issue if people join a union right? and make that choice. Right? Uh, if they don't, it just doesn't arise. The other thing I think that's and, and this is I suppose has run through our discussion here today we've ended up in a situation here where there are, are really two models of pay determination in this country. There's the traditional collective bargaining between a trade union uh, and an employer whether it be at enterprise level or whether it be at a sectoral level or wh- whatever right but the traditional adversarial sort of model, right? And then, and uh, the, the other model that you have is nothing other than direct engagement. So, in some instances, there are arrangements in place of one sort or another. Or another, in, in other, in many other situations, it's simply the the employer determines what the terms and conditions are. So there isn't anything in between. And I do think that. We have to kind of get away from that that model. And there are other ways uh, in which uh, engagement can take place. If you use the term collective bargaining in in a generic sense, it can in fact cover a multitude, not just the, if you like, the the historic or um, traditional sort of uh, approach that we've become used to. And I think there is scope for for, um, dealing with these matters at uh, the level of of, of individual employments. And I think there is a model there in terms of information and consultation, both in terms of national legislation and in terms of of the um, requirements in, in European law for European works councils, where people are entitled to information and are entitled to put forward a view and there's an obligation to at least consider that view. And they're entitled to, to assistance from experts and all of that sort of stuff. right? Um, and perhaps that's a model. Perhaps that's a model for certain types of employment. But I think the, it, 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 it isn't a one-size-fits-all approach, in my view. And I, I, maybe that's something that uh, is being talked about in the, the high-level group. Uh, I think it would be useful if that debate was had. Are there there different ways of achieving the same result? Because I'd still go back to first principles on this and say, what is it all about? What's what's the, the fundamental point? And the fundamental point, in my view, is, to repeat what I said at the beginning, that employees, workers, have a right to an input in the terms and conditions under which they work but there there's different ways in which that can be done and again i think going you know, back to the european that's clearly the situation because you have this huge difference between what is called collective bargaining coverage and some of what, what is is referred to as collective bargaining is very different to what we understand it to be mm-hmm. but you've got this huge difference between trade union density and collective bargaining coverage, um, and that I- is indicative of of different wa- ways of, of of bringing about perhaps the result that everybody wants and everybody subscribes to, and I think we that's that's an area that we haven't really put a lot of thought into, but I think perhaps. Uh, You know, from here, you know, as this debate develops, and particularly in the context of what's been talked about in Europe and given that something, something along the lines of the draft directive will, in fact, be enacted, it'll be left very much to the member states to decide how they it's not prescriptive. It's it's simply saying that the member states must draw up an action plan and all of that. So it's it's not it's not prescriptive in that sense. So there'll be uh, a, a significant margin of discretion allowed to member states, but the object of the exercise will be to uh, increase collective bargaining coverage uh, to seventy percent. But I mean, if you if 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 you Take it, and I've certainly always felt that the JLC system is collective bargaining, not the traditional type, but it is a form of collective bargaining. Right? And if J, if the JLCs were enhanced, and the ones that are already there were actually working, you'd, you'd 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 be coming fairly close now to that level of coverage, given the numbers of people that would be covered, because you know they typically relate to small, uh, uh, enterprises, um, but la- highly labor intensive. Um, but, um, so you know, really my, my bottom line on all of this is that I agree that, um, this horse is for courses. Uh, if, 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 if it was only the sort of, uh, inward investment, um, uh, companies, um, you know, they, they, they they there wouldn't be many issues around this because as I said there's never I've never known a recognition dispute on any of those. Uh, but the core of the problem is is not there. It's more with services type employments, small type employments uh that just don't want trade unions um because they they just don't want to uh, afford their employees an opportunity to uh, have an input into the terms on which they work but uh, that, that's a sounds like a very general statement but it it's it, 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 where a lot of the recognition disputes have occurred it's those type of employments that they've affected
0: so if we if we look at the you know the conversation over the last um period has been you know i'm talking about this conversation we've 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 looked at the collective bargaining issue, the recognition issue, and you know, I'm thinking of the review itself. And you know, g- g- given that there is you know an intense interest around collective bargaining and, and recognition, I- I'm just wondering, you know, could the review itself miss the opportunity to uh, look at other more significant IORA forms that are acquired? Um, you know, is 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 that a potential um, concern, Brennan?
1: Well, I suppose this is part. I think. Of, well, my view is: look, it has to be part of the mix if this is to be balanced. Um, because, you know, never mind the some of the core issues we've been talking about here around this kind of let's call it broadly based collective bargaining principle and what that should look like in a modern economy uh, from from here on. Whatever that. It ends up looking like it has to sit within a system Um, and it has to sit within the dispute resolution system and of course it also has to sit then within the regulatory framework governing for example trade disputes and the like and um, Kevin has talked about some of the obvious areas of concern around coverage and particularly maybe amongst maybe some smaller employers or sectors, you know, where there have been issues about maybe how people have been treated or whatever, uh, or the, the 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 kind of alleged fairness of terms and conditions and all of that. But the difficulty is with each reform, there can be unintended consequences. And the kind of people we're talking about in terms of, you know, the conversations I've had with CEOs and so on, they're not in those sorts of organizations. Uh, and, you know, if I think back to some of the issues, you know, despite everybody's best efforts, there were some of the better FDI organizations caught up in cases, for example, that were prosecuted under the Amendment Act. Uh, and and like any infrastructure, uh, including around, uh, let's say, the so-called right to bargain Uh, legislation once it's there you know both parties whoever they may be uh are free to use it to their own advantage uh uh tactically or politically or 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 whatever and and that that's their right um and i think that's that's a key issue in terms of that whole issue of collateral collateral impact or collateral damage but what i would like to see and And it'll be interesting to see how far the review group are prepared to go in this space of looking at some of the bigger ticket issues that we know to be out there for too long that have been that continue in my view, at least in a way to bedevil the system. and, I suppose what what we can't have in my view is a level of increasing compulsion on one side of the equation here on uh, whether it's employers in particular in the private sector and simply having that then bolted on to the existing unchanged so-called voluntary system, right? So um, what are the sort of things that would be foremost in my mind, you know, we know we need to update the rules about balloting the whole piece around uh, indeed around uh, around the conduct of industrial action, you know how picketing rules you know we still have you know notice of industrial action is, is, is legally still only seven days as we know under the legislation most agreements 14 days we know that there are lots of, there's a whole list of issues that need to be uh, updated, I would even argue that there should be a higher higher ballot threshold than the simple majority of, of those voting at the moment that's that's allowed. Uh and and the whole issue, for example, about independent scrutiny of ballots and so on. But the point is that there's a whole suite of mechanisms uh of that nature that need to be looked at. And you know, we we, we I mentioned earlier too about maybe there are implications here uh, not just for the private sector and I believe there are issues here in the public sector as well because for example, the, the Code of Practice and Essential Services, we know, you know, has fallen by the wayside in terms of its effective recourse. It seems to, to, to me, at least, that all needs to be uh, strengthened. I mentioned earlier, for example, about the status of pre-entry closed shops, all of that sort of stuff. And and by the way, there's also, you know, th- this whole issue too about, well, what happens if if a trade union loses its mandate? Uh, and, and, you know, at what point... Uh, can de-recognition occur? I mean, that's pretty unheard of in in in, in our history, by and large, right? Uh, but if we're talking about fundamental changes, and depending on how far reform agenda goes, these are the sorts of issues that loom large. And we know there've been problems about some issues about interunion rivalry, uh, even on unionized uh, in unionized employment, and there can also be issues then about. You know the behaviour, in particular, for example, of, non, of some non-congress affiliated unions and so on, that have caused caused difficulties over the years. So there's a whole basket of issues there that kind of are 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 in the in the mix. And I suppose what will be very interesting to see is to what extent that the balance of scales in terms of the outcome of the review reflect any or hopefully some of those issues.
0: Kevin, are are there any wider reforms to the Irish system that you'd like to see?
2: Well, first of all, I think if there's a solution to be found to this problem that's been knocking around, as I said earlier on, for 30 or 40, well, certainly 20 to 30 years uh, in one shape or or another, um, ideally, uh, it should be agreed between social partners. And does quid pro quos, like in any agreement, and I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, employers saying we're prepared to go down a particular road if you're going, prepared to come down a somewhat different road with us. That's the way things are normally done. So uh, employers are entitled to put up the stall, just as, as trade unions are entitled to put up the stall. Um, and there are a whole raft of issues that I think could usefully be looked at. I'm not so sure that the issue is around strikes. Happily, we don't have that many of them. Where they do happen, I never, don't think there's any issue around strike, the, 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 the mandate um, in a ballot. They're usually fairly fairly significant majorities but we don't have that many of them i certainly agree that the rules should should apply across the board i don't think you could have a situation realistically where you have one set of rules uh, in one sector and a different set of rules in another I I, I I i i agree with that but i'd be much more interested in looking at the whole question of um the the stability that can be given by collective agreements, whatever form they take or whatever level they negotiated at. Um, that if if an agreement is concluded, that that's it for its duration, right? Um, and that applies to both sides, right? And it applies to everybody. That'll be progress. It, well, I mean, you know, there's, there's yeah. issues like that mm. um, that may well be part of the debate. Mm. I'm not so sure that the terms of reference I could be wrong on this because I haven't looked at it quite closely enough, but I'm not sure the terms of reference for the Curden Group um, really encompass all of that. But whatever recommendations come out of it, I'm sure would be followed by another debate. right? Uh, and perhaps people do start need to think about look can we get a settlement here and what do most people do what do most industrial relations practitioners do when we're talking about a settlement everybody puts the kitchen sink onto the table right uh, and employers have an agenda unions have an agenda and I've no doubt if an agreement is arrived at which finds its way into legislation there's going to have to be something in it for everybody, so you know i I certainly don't think that people should have a closed mind on the question of looking at the totality of uh the architecture within which uh, industry relations is conducted
0: thanks kevin and and maybe finally to to both of you you know before we close out, are there any other points or observations? either you would like to make on the subject.
2: Peter, we're not still in charge. <laughs> I, I've said that many a time, <laughs> Kevin.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm not forcing either of you to answer that question, guys. So I will say this. there's something that, that, that needed to be said that, yeah. hasn't been said, well, well, that look, was your moment. Yeah,
1: you know? look, the, the, the only thing right. I will say, though, and, and, and this is this is a worry of mine uh, because, <laughs> look, we, we're very good at this in this country. Uh, where we keep adding stuff on to what's already there, right, without actually fully understanding the implication of of doing so. And (laughs) a little worry I have is that we we find ourselves with some sort of, well, I'm just using the term, an add-on solution. Uh, And I think it'll be interesting to see whether anything further is being said about the design principles under the Mm -hmm. 2001-2015 Act. Uh, Kevin mentions some of the issues there as, as I have done um, uh, and because the the danger is that if, if if it's a if this ends up being a bolt-on where there's more compulsion uh, in whatever way uh, on uh, employers the the, the 200115 acts are, are left in place and very little is done then around wider reform um, I mean I, I would be worried about that uh, and I think w- an add on solution just won't, won't work here and the most important thing I think from from my assessment of it is that whatever is arrived at that, that there is a consensus uh, I, I think there will be a job of work uh, satisfying uh, many organisations out there uh, that this, uh, especially those organisations that I've referred uh, to in my uh, few comments this afternoon, uh, about uh, assuring them that they, you know, don't have much to worry about in all of this, uh, and as I say, that any changes that are being proposed. Are evidence based and can carry the support of both sides of industry. I think that's absolutely crucial sure. if there is to be a balanced right. outcome. But we'll see. Kevin, yeah,
2: no, Kevin, uh, The final f- word to you. Obviously, that's the the ideal outcome. I think there's a couple of things, though, that you know could be done and and uh, uh, wouldn't um, wouldn't represent uh, too radical a, a departure from what we already have. I think uh, if I think the JLC system right uh, needs to be looked at again I think the the notion that you have establishment orders for JLCs across a raft of um, sectors that simply don't meet and don't function uh, that shouldn't be so and I think that, that, that needs to be settled and that as I said earlier, brings a huge number of people within the the the, the framework of of of, of uh, collective bargaining. Right? Uh, doesn't necessarily mean they're all in unions, but at least it 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 there's a there's a mechanism there by which uh, they they can have an input if they are members of a trade union. Um, I think the 2015 Act is was useful. In its original form, I think it could be made useful again. I think perhaps there was a concern uh, to introduce a certain balance in the 2015 amendments, but I'm inclined to think that it is it 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 is undermined the original rationale for the for the act. Not everyone will agree with that, Kevin. I'm sure they won't, but I certainly agree with <laughs> it. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but um the you know i think that 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 can be looked at and 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 i i think again if we were looking at the different mechanisms and there there can be different mechanisms by which uh workers can have some say in the conditions under which they work And, and, you know, if you, if you take, get the JLC system right, well, there's huge numbers that are already taken care of. Then you've other types. And there are different mechanisms for doing that. And and, and I don't think we should be thinking in terms of one size fits all, Mm -hmm. that there's a monolith Mm -hmm. uh, there and that it has to be uh, following a particular model. Um, um, And i perhaps and hopefully because this is the first time this has really been looked at independently probably since the commission on on, on industrial relations and um hopefully what it'll it'll do is it'll pr- produce uh, a number of or a sufficient number of 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 ideas uh which i think could be worked on and as i said hopefully by consensus and that's always difficult, but we all know not impossible. But it does require give and take on all sides and all sides, as, as always.
0: I'll, I'll try and close out the conversation on that final moment of great consensus. Mm-hmm. I want to say, you know, to both Kevin and Brendan, thank you for a very insightful and for informative discussion. There's no doubt. Look, it's a very sensitive topic, uh, and perhaps it deserves much more discussion. You know, than we've been able to afford it uh, today. Uh, We've only been able to explore some of the issues involved. Obviously in Stratus we're going to continue to monitor this area very closely uh, and no doubt we'll return to it as the high-level review group completes its work over the coming months. Uh, Thanks to all who've taken the time to listen uh, to this Stratus Insights podcast. Keep an ear for more and please remember to leave us a review after you listen.